You're listening to Super Power Up with multidimensional master, superpower expert, and former counterintelligence agent, Tonya Donrekla. If you're ready to disrupt reality, then sit down, strap in, and prepare to experience the show that proves there is no spoon. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, your superpower expert. And I am, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little nervous about today's conversation. Um, there, you know, we all have our spaces that we came from, the, the more traditional environments and stuff as we bridge into um, finding ourselves doing work that we never dreamt we'd be doing in the world. Um, a lot of it uh, in pure faith. And, and this conversation is nothing short of that. Um, our guest today is. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of a little fangirl right now about this. He and it's it's in a weird way that some of you may not be able to relate to, but he is a retired brigadier general for the Air Force. And in the worlds that I come from, there that um, I'm, I'm almost going to get teary. Like that level of commitment to our country and dedication, and um, as the individual, but also as the family and as everyone um, that's involved is. Um, something that I think we really take lightly. And so, so from us to you, Robert, thank you so much for your service. And um, we're just honored to have a conversation with you and your continued service um, in, in a really um, uncomfortable space for a lot of people. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about uncomfortable truths and uncertain times. And Robert wrote a book called Stealth Wars and it's in, in his passion. You can just feel it like the, this drive to make sure that we are not walking through our lives unaware, um, especially when we can draw some pretty clear conclusions about what those consequences might be if we do that. And so I'm, I am really excited about this conversation. Um, it brings up stuff from my past that, you know, I, I tried to lay to rest and try to lay to rest, but there are certain experiences that, that you have and things that you see, um, especially when it involves depravity of humanity, that, that it's hard to forget. And, um, and so that rawness is present here. And, um, and Robert, I just, I just really respect you and I appreciate you coming on the show to share your wisdom today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Beautiful. So I'm not even sure I actually said you. So Robert Spaulding wrote a book called Stealth Wars. Like I'm like trying to check all the boxes while I'm I'm um, I'm, I'm focused in on this deep dialogue. And um, so we, we are going to jump in here. But before we do and ask Robert what his superpowers are, we're going to we're I want to lay the framework here. And so Robert's been extremely busy and very vocal, especially during this pandemic, because his specialty is looking at what are the threats to our country from other places, specifically China. And, and we open this dialogue knowing that this is not easy to talk about. And um, I know for a lot of you, you know, there's a deep, um, almost paranoia, but at least a healthy um, respect for, for government and for those institutions. And I think in this conversation, we're going to ask you to extend that healthy respect of that power and that um those manipulations, if you will, or, or at least the, the perpetuation of certain ideologies, at the very least, we can say, to extend beyond just our own government and, and things that do have an impact on our ability to do the work that we do and touch the lives that we touch um, in the way that we've become accustomed. And that um, and, and, and if that's being threatened, I think it's worth taking a look at. So that's how we're opening this conversation today. Robert, We'll start with, what are your superpowers? 
Well, you know, so uh, I guess you would say that I question everything uh, because I'm I'm perpetually curious, and that leads to a lot of, um, you know, linking of things uh, to make uh, a, a to bring, I think, clarity to a system that's very complex. I think uh, I have an ability to see connections that um, that a, a lot of people can't see sometimes. Um, just because of my questioning nature and the way I look at the world, and um, and I think the other thing, and it kind of um, it kind of jives with what you're talking about um, just now, is my my sense to to not really trust authority. <laughs> I have a great distrust of authority, and um, and and that that goes together with my questioning nature. So, actually, I'm you know being a military uh, officer. You know that can be very difficult for people that <laughs> where, where they expect you to just to do what you're told and and you know I always had to understand why I was doing something and in fact I remember as a as a young captain I I, I walk into uh, you know the director of operations office who's a lineutenant colonel and I and I and I have a question for him and I'm asking him why I don't remember what the issue was but he goes he says just please please don't ask why. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I think some people, I think it's a gift. Other people would say it's a curse. Um, you know, these two things or these, or these three things of questioning, of really being able to, on the basis of questioning, assemble complex patterns into a very simplistic view. Um, and then to explain that and then to um, question authority. I think all those kind of combine to, to, build my superpower. Well, I, I think those qualify. It's, it's so funny. People ask us all the time if we think that the, the, the military experience that we had really has informed our ability to build, you know, scalable, systemizable kind of processes and structures. And, and, it, and it's interesting because, our, you know, I, I went in the military, I was 27 with a master's degree in critical theory going, and I enlisted right after 9-11. Um, and it was, you know, and so on some level, it's like, it's like, I, I, I'm not sure that's the causality. In fact, it may be the opposite, you know, that those of us who kind of see things in patterns and systems and stuff can tolerate that sort of structure, even when we demonstrate the ability to think critically. And it, and it, and it's funny that you would bring it up in that way. Cause when my husband and I met teaching at the counter intel special agent school and they had come to me and asked me to write a course, um, on critical thinking and immediately I was like, no, <laughs> not going to do it. And they're like, well, why not? And at this time I was, I was a, a, a civilian actually contractor at that time. And, um, and I said, because it's completely antithetical to the rank structure. Like you don't really want me to do this. And I don't really want to be responsible for the fallout when that happens, you know? And, um, and so we had a, a number of philosophical conversations before I finally agreed to, to write up this course, but a lot of it was some of uh, the stuff that you covered in your book, which is super fascinating. Um, those skill sets to be able to, to think critically. Um, and, and, and I think that people forget that the government and all governments are made up of individuals and all individuals um, have varying degrees of the ability to do that or, or to exercise that perhaps even when things get uncomfortable. And so it is, of course, a superpower. And, and you've chosen to wield yours in some really remarkable ways. What, what did it take for you to really sit with and, and produce this book and become the the poster child for raising that awareness. 
Well, you know, it, it really started um, with um, a fundamentally different view than the book portrays. And um, I, I lived with my family in, in Shanghai for two years as an Air Force major. We, you know, I went to the Defense Language Institute and spent a year there learning Chinese. And then we moved to Shanghai as a family where I attended Tongji University for two years and, and traveled around the country. And so I really fell in love with China and the Chinese people and the idea of living there and told my wife that, you know, uh, when we left in 2004 that I wanted to go back after I retired and have a career and start a business there. And so um, it, it was, and, and I was asked later on by the Air Force, um, you know, several years later, I think this is now like 2011 or 2012, if I, if I had considered going back to China. And my response at the time was, well, no, it's really polluted. Um, and, uh, and I had, um, you know, had some hair loss and, you know, brown patches on my skin because of all the pollution. And I thought, well, it's probably not a good place to, you know, take your family back to because of all the pollution. Um, but that turned out to be where the Air Force wanted me to go. And so, as I, as I went on this uh, journey, you know, it was, um, so the first part of that journey um, back to China was to go to the, um, be a senior military fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City. And uh, so, we lived in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And, um, you know, I got to meet a lot of business uh, executives and industry people and financial people and really, um, you know, got introduced to kind of the, the world of global trade and finance. And that opened up doors to, um, to people that I'd never met before and, and to perspectives, perspectives I'd never had. And I had, um, you know, I, I began to have more of a glimpse into the into kind of where China was going than I had before, which was very superficial, I would say. I, I understood the people and the history and the culture. I didn't understand the government and the party. Mm-hmm. And so that was the start of my education. And I went from there to the Pentagon to be uh, advisor on China to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. And it was at that point with, you know, surrounded with my team of, of China experts as we were looking at uh, kind of U.S.-China relationship um, from, um, from a perspective of the military balance for the, or the military competition, if you will, that I really got into this um, this idea of you know what the U.S. and China economic relationship, uh, what the implications of that were to national security, and the reason was, is because one of these contacts that I had made in New York City sent me a briefing in the fall of 2014 that I describe in the book that absolutely blew my mind away, and it 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 basically showed me that everything that I believed about the world, how I, how the globe worked, how the, the financial system worked and how trade worked was completely upside down. And I, and it, and, and I needed to reorient myself. And so it, ever since then, it's been a passion of mine because, you know, what I saw was the looming destruction of our democratic Republic. Uh, if we didn't figure this out and and really uh, begin to reassert our principles and values, so it's been a, a really you, you say a, a passion for mine. It, it absolutely is. It's it's what I believe in because you know when I when I joined the military, 
you know, that sense of service of um, being called to protect and, and, and defend, support and defend the Constitution, I really bought into that. And I still do today. And, and I've always been really a strong believer in our democratic republic. And so, um, you know, I think it, it, it really, uh, I have a calling, you know, to, to really educate and advocate for the things that I saw uh, and have seen since, um, you know, I started this, this journey. Yeah, that though you said so much in 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 the context of of what you just shared the 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 concepts of you know that was one of the questions I wrote down. How do you raise awareness in this without villainizing a people, right? And that's and that's so crucial that we look at. And you you talk about the culture and the people and the and the and the falling in love with that. And and yet it's there are there's a dirty underbelly, you know. And we we you know that's. Of, of everywhere, right? We all have our shadows and our skeletons and everything else. And, and folks, I think it's important to, for those of you who don't have any involvement with the government or anything like it, you just don't happen to cross that line and be able to turn around and, and look at the, um, the institution that you pledged your existence to um, easily. Like, like, you know, I don't, I'm sure we, we could have many conversations about that, but I know for me, like I, I tried to leave government three times, you know, and it was like, it just kept sucking me back in. Like there was no, it wasn't that it was the disentangling from, um, that sense of duty. It was disentangling from the service. It was, it was, um, there, there are some questions you don't ask, you know, it, we can both laugh at, you know, some, uh, superior officer saying, don't ask why, but that that's real. You know, I, I had many cases that I worked as an Intel agent that, you, you know, there were, there were certain directives given that, that, you know, you kind of sit there and scratch your head and it's like, well, and, and, and so you don't just accidentally slip out of that mindset and, and, and have the ability to, to turn around and look at it critically and say, okay, where are the gaps? You know, what are we, what, if there's a system that's broken, how do we fix it? And in the book, um, we're going to cut to break here in just a second, folks. But but before we do, Robert mentioned the Atlantic Charter in his book, and and it, when, as I was just praying and praying and praying, like God, please show me what this conversation is between us, um, because it felt so powerful, and yet it just wasn't clear. Um, I was guided to go back and review the Atlantic Charter, and, and it, it, for those of you who don't know, Roosevelt and Churchill got together in 1941, and and that's where this got penned. But it was essentially like a what are the principles that should be, you know, acceptable kind of globally that, that, that it's, it's, that we can walk toward, that we can say, this is, this is valuable for us to pursue or to be in the pursuit of. And the, the eighth principle, as I was reading this, um, was just really struck, struck me in terms of its importance. And it says um, that, you know, they believe that all the nations of the world for realistic, as well as spiritual reasons must come to the abandonment of the use of force. Now, don't get all excited, folks. This is not like a time to shout amen, let's do gun control and everything else. Listen to what this says. Since no future peace can be maintained if land, sea, or air armaments continue to be employed by nations which threaten or may threaten aggression outside of their frontiers, they believe, pending the establishment of a wider and permanent system of general security, that the disarmament of such nations is essential. They will likewise aid and encourage all other practical measure, which will be which will lighten pe for peace-loving peoples the crushing burden of armaments. 
we have to be willing to extend that. And Robert, you talk about this in your book beyond this idea that war is only fought on a battlefield with, with, with weapons, right? There are many, many, many armaments that are at play and in use that are super subtle. Now, folks, what does this, what kind of conversation does this remind you of, right? These are subtle things that are happening. They are pervasive. They are, um, enculturated, right? We're talking about collectivist cultures versus individualistic cultures and where that clashes in terms of our ability to understand worldview and just what people are willing to do in service to the collective um, and what we're not willing to do in service to our collective, right? So there are many, many, many dimensional layers here that we can unpack. But I encourage you to stick with this conversation because when we come back from the from the break, we're going to unfold this this perspective of how do we have these conversations and not turn it into blanket permission to to hate or to spew our fear onto people who are involved in the midst of it? And how do we kind of save humanity in that quest? So, Robert, um, before we do, let's tell people where they can go to find out more about you. Yeah, sure. Uh, GeneralSpalding.com is my website and I'm on Twitter, you know, all the time, Robert underscore Spalding. Spalding does not have a U in this case. Perfect. And there'll be links on the episode page. Folks, stay with us. You're listening to Disrupt Reality. We're talking about uncomfortable truths and uncertain times, and we will be right back after the break. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. And we want to thank each of you for making Superpower Up the number one podcast network for personal development and spiritual growth. Because people like you have the courage to say that mindfulness, healthy living, disrupting reality, the pursuit of consciousness, responsible entrepreneurship, and radical parenting matter. We now amass over 1 million downloads monthly in more than 90 countries. Our numbers keep growing because there are far more people willing to live divergently than mass media wants to acknowledge. For you, the change makers, the light bearers, the way showers, we say thank you. If you're ready to take the next step in your evolution, go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz. And as Neva Lee Rekla, our youngest podcaster, likes to remind us, remember, we all have superpowers and we can change the world. Awesome. We're back. This is Tonya Don Reckley. You're listening to Disrupt Reality. We're talking with Robert Spaulding today, author of Stealth Wars. And we're talking about uncomfortable truths in uncertain times. And before the break, Robert shared some of what his journey was coming to, you know, really kind of taking a stand and saying, hey, I think we need to pay attention to this. And um, yeah, I'd shared with you, Robert, that Justin and I were really shocked when we came into business with our, you know, in the corporate counterintelligence kind of perspective and saw a lot of the same things in business that we had seen in espionage. And again, I think looking back, it was, we were just naive. Like I was kind of like, yeah, like fraud and stuff has existed in business forever, but I don't know why it just didn't, we just, it just didn't translate for some reason. Um, and so as we started to get called in to investigate certain dealings and, and it all led back to governments and, and government monies and government power and all this other stuff, it was like, wait, where have we seen this before? You know, and, and so it was, it was a weird thing. And you talked about your eyes really being opened when you got involved in kind of the commerce side, like the private sector, the business, you know, these different lenses that you were then able to put on. And, and and you and you you alluded to how you reconcile that, but but really, how did you reconcile that with this country, these peoples, this culture, this 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 world, right? This this entirety that that you had been become so fond of. 
Well, you know, once I once I started digging into this and starting, um, you know, understanding that, you know, uh, how how could this be that, um, you know, what looked like to me a wholesale attack on our economy and our society? Uh, and so I started asking questions. You know, what what is what is China? And and what so I read you know literally thousands of pages and and I and I read books and I read um, I read documents and I read you know as much as I could about the about the governing system of China and what I came to understand and in, in in the process of doing all this reading I was always also talking to business people I was talking to financial people I was talking to. Um, the people in our government that do diplomacy, both on the military side and the state side, and I'm asking questions. And, you know, one of the things that I notice is that all of the answers I'm getting from all of my colleagues mirror many of the answers I get from the People's Liberation Army, which is the military arm of the Chinese Communist Party. And so as I start to put all these things together, I begin to realize that, you know, there most people have one view of China and it, it is, it is the things we say, it is a narrative. It is, it is the meme of China. And what I began to realize is that meme of China is consolidating everything that is China, the people, the culture, the history, the vibrancy, uh, the geography, the, the dreams and hopes of the Chinese people individually and collectively. It's all bound up in a narrative created and packaged by the Chinese Communist Party. And, and, and you, it's very difficult to break through that because, you know, in essence, not only is the party, um, you know, the purveyor of the narrative, we have proxies in the United States that have long-term uh, histories in China and going to China and, and living in China and studying China that have adopted these narratives. And so it's very difficult to break through and, and see, okay, you know, this, this thing that's hidden from our, our view, we are, we are helping it because we're, we're, we're basically um, adopting the narrative that's been created for, you know, essentially keeping us asleep to, to what's going on. Well, and that's what I love about this conversation is that, you know, that's Plato's allegory. And so it's like, there, it, this is no different. I, I don't see it as being any different from the journey of discovery that, that we see people go down, even in their own self-exploration. We, we could be talking about Maslow's hierarchy. It's, it's, the, it's taking that journeying, you know, the, the kind of evolvement or the expansion or extension of, of knowledge um, and, and following it through and, and it parallels everything. And so I don't know entirely what to do with it other than everything that you're saying about the unfoldment and the discovery and everything can be taken and applied um, in a number of different topics. And, and when I see that, it's usually an indicator that says that we're, we're identifying a theme, right? A pattern. We're seeing our eyes are being opened to some sort of deeper exploration that for whatever reason, they, they were closed to before, or we were able to see it at a certain surface level. And, and now we're being shown a deeper surface and, and your eyes were opened and, and you, you followed the rabbit hole, um, you know, and, and you got, um, and, and this is, this is what we're seeing because of it. And the, 
I think the the what we saw in the business side of house with small businesses in particular because they got involved in capital raising situations and other things and and weren't particularly savvy about foreign investing and foreign money and that type of stuff and what the um, just stuff that you know CI agents like that's what we taught yeah right? we had to train it like these are the things you should be looking for these are things that should make you go hmm maybe we should ask more questions here and and it's hard when you're talking about um, um, technologies or um, discoveries or creations or whatever that people are excited about and it lights them up and it's their life's work and they then somebody is interested. Right. I mean, again, it was it was the exact same thing we were seeing in espionage, but we started to see how, at least in a really, really, really small scale, how some of these minor infiltrations were were happening, and um and and then the the, the lures that that were getting dropped about the promise of this money and that money, the amount of um the contests and the capital raising schemes and the the pitch tanks and all this other stuff, and if you followed the money back, it was like, well, why in the world would, would these Chinese companies be running these? these, you know, these, these uh, pitch tanks and these other things. And it's like, Oh, I think I might know why they're doing that. And, and so, but, but when you're doing it, when you're trying to feed your family, when you're, when you're, when you're worried about the economy, when you, when you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from, when you're trying to make the business work, when you've got to answer to investors like that, that's why those ploys work, right. Is because it creates pressure on at a very individual level. And, and, and so how, how do we keep opening up the dialogue um, and make it very real for people who are in the moment faced with those decisions? And, 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 and that the bigness of what you're proposing, I think, is so incredibly abstract that the human mind is going to forget it. Like, let me just deal with this minor detail that's in front of me right now. Um, have you had luck kind of tying those together? Yeah, you know, I think it's, um, you know, first you have to get over what I what I consider to be, you know, standard American hubris, um, this belief, this fundamental belief that our system is the best and, um, and that we're always going to prevail and, and, and then how that translates into geopolitics, into geostrategy, uh, geoeconomics. You know, I believe that, you know, our system, our open system that uh, of, of globalization and free trade was going to ensure that, you know, democratic principles kind of uh, found purchase nearly every, everywhere in the world eventually. And what you come to realize is that when you get past this narrative that's been essentially crafted for you by the Chinese Communist Party, you begin to understand that they actually understand this process of, you know, soft power very well. And they've devised a, a very um, sophisticated model that allows them to essentially take advantage of that openness in a way that turns that that what we what we considered a strength into a very glaring weakness, um, as long as you're willing to understand that that's uh, that that that's being done for a purpose, you know, the the narrative is so carefully concocted that even when um, you get glimpses of this malfeasance that you talk about. Most people will say that particularly those that have been captured by the narrative is, oh, that's just, um, you, you, those are just bad people. They're, 
it's not, um, you know, it's not representative of, you know, what China is doing. And then if you don't understand the Chinese Communist Party and how they use um, the individual greed motivation to incentivize, incentivize behavior that, uh, you know, essentially aligns with their interests and you don't understand that, um, you know, they don't have to, uh, like in the Soviet Union, directly tell you to make this product at this price. What they can say is, if you play along, we'll make sure that you have access to uh, the treasury for, you know, for capital, for growing your business. And so, in a, in a way, they have uh, fundamentally restructured authoritarianism to allow for this idea of an alignment of the wealth motive with what they want you to do. And so as long as you're not questioning the, the Chinese Communist Party and whatever you're doing is not, you know, putting them in a precarious position with regard to their continued rule of China, then you're going to be rewarded if you can show success. And so this is something that, you know, we think of today in, in terms of uh, the United States as the free market economy that, you know, organizes according to market principles. That is not what China does. That is not what the Chinese Communist Party does. They align uh, access to resources with the things that they want you to do, mm -hmm. the technologies, the industries, the markets they want you to be in. And as long as you're doing that and getting wealthy uh, and it's in a way that they like, they're going to continue to give you access to capital. And so when you connect that system to a, a free trade um, system that is based on rules and based on international laws, then you really begin to undermine that international system because there's no rules and laws with regard to how you do business in China, except for you will not challenge the Chinese Communist Party. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, I, and I know why people don't want to think about this. When I, when I left Counter Intel, it was like I wanted rainbows and unicorns and our, our daughter was two. And I was like, yeah, no, thanks. I'm good. Like, no more. And, and when we kept getting called in to, from the business side of the house to do the similar work, it was like, I don't want to know this stuff. Like, I don't want to know this is still happening. Like, I just want to pretend it's not because it's, it's overwhelming. And you said something really crucial. You said that they can use the greed tactic, right? Like, like espionage is all about predicting future behavior. And the way you do that is you look at what are the things that would cause somebody to go against their moral compass? Like, what, how do you start guiding someone so far away from their moral compass. Well, if they have no moral compass, it's easier. If it's a dimmer moral compass, even easier. If you know, if they but but the biggest thing is the attachments to things. And so you mentioned greed. And I'll be honest, folks, like this is a big part of the reason why I completely and totally like it was like the final final piece for me to totally surrender into a life of commitment to God because I don't know any other way to navigate through the complexities that we're talking about here, the misinformation, the, um, the misguidedness, the, 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 the psyops, the deception, all, I mean, it is ramp and everybody's wanting everybody to go somewhere for some purpose, but you can feel your way through it at a much higher level. If you're willing to go, okay, what am I looking at here? Please I guide me because I'm, I know I'm susceptible to being pulled in all these directions and that's why it can happen. 
But in, and if God's not your thing, then I highly recommend you get really clear about your moral compass because the, you know, it, it's not just China. There's misinformation. There's AIs. There's more. I mean, I mean, goodness, the marketing efforts of some companies rival that of, you know, what, what's happening, what the government's doing with your information. And so, but okay, we don't need to live in fear of that, we, but we can navigate through life with a little bit more peace in our hearts if we're willing to open our eyes a little bit more and, and face some of these uncomfortable truths. Robert, I, I really want to respect your time, but one more question before we start this wrap-up. What is at risk for the individual, the the mother, the father, the the practitioner, the business owner, the the um, teacher, the, 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 the people, right? Our, our, our people want freedom. They want love. They want hope they want to to feel able to you know be at home with their kids at night and they want to have faith in something bigger than themselves and but what are we what is really at risk if we don't start talking a little more seriously about some of these uncomfortable topics well i mean that's a really good question so about two years ago now um, there was a a, a young um, a child in china is in middle school or and um, he's giving a speech in his school, and um, and the speech basically is um, the the title of it, or or the theme of it is, I want to get I want to get rich so I can escape the meaninglessness of my life, and I think that's where um, that's what's at stake. It's this this sense of pursuit of profit at at, at any cost. And the the devastation that it that it leaves in its wake to to uh, humans, and um, and I saw this in China when I was there, um, you know where people were you know suffering, uh, you know they come to collect their pay and be beaten. Um, we know that there's concentration camps in China, and we know that there's forced organ harvesting of prisoners of conscience, basically religious dissidents. But what you don't realize is that these are all aided and abetted by, you know, corporations and and investment banks and financial um, institutions in in the United States that it comes from a society and a people that are fundamentally against um, violations of human rights and, and violations of civil liberties and violations of rule of law uh, and of and of fair and free trade, and so you know we we thought that openness would be the way that we would use soft power to convince the rest of the world, uh, and in particular China and the Chinese Communist Party, that democracy was better than authoritarianism. And what I see is that rather instead, these these, um, technologies, these business models, you know, the the entire information economy now is, is being used to promote the exact opposite. So rather than us changing you know, China into a more democratic and free society. China is not just changing us, it's changing the rest of the world into a much more authoritarian society. And we've built the means to project um, that, those, those principles into societies by 
connecting so um, so fully with the Chinese Communist Party. And so I think it's really about us without the might of arms, without anybody in, invading us, without, you know, Marines coming ashore and and subjugating the American people that little by little, we are voluntarily giving up our own freedoms for profit. And it's built into the information economy of today. And, and, the, the, and the terrible thing is that we built it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's when all of this went down with the, the COVID situation, everything, I just, you know, just now we're talking about me kind of looked at me, he's like, well, what do you think? And we, you know, we always just kind of read between the lines, right? You know, you never have access to classified material and then think that you're getting news, <laughs> you know, ever again. And, uh, and, and, you know, so saying we're out of that loop. And so we, we, we don't know, all we can see is what we're being fed. And, and I just kind of looked down, I was like, well, if some of this is true, then I think China just showed everyone with an agenda how to shut us down. <laughs> like, I, I think that this could be a big problem. And, um, you, you know, and it's, you know, it's this, this conspiracy, that conspiracy, this conspiracy, that conspiracy. But if you take a step back and look in between all of it, you can feel the truth in what Robert's talking about. And, 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 and really, if I could be so bold as to have any hope for all of you, it would be just that you would do that and, and just say, okay, what if, what if we're, we're being asked to, to in our pursuit of openness and expansion and loving the world, also be a little more discerning. Um, also ask some questions, um, do some due diligence, whether it's business, whether it's your life, whether it's where you're placing your energy, your money, your thoughts, your, you know, your attention, um, just dip your toe in that and, and see what you start to unfold. Certainly we don't preach um, for, for people to be paranoid. And I don't think that, that this calls for it. I do think that we have very intelligent well-rounded, wise people who are raising some concerns and it's, it's worth um, our attention to listen and, and to contribute where we can to that conversation. Robert, I can't thank you enough for your, your service, um, past, present, and future. Um, really, it's an honor to have this conversation with you and, and we're happy to support you and your efforts in um, whatever way possible, but at the least we can do is make sure um, our little section of the world hears about it. Um, so any last thoughts you'd like to share with our audience before we, we turn you back to the world? No, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. I think it's important that you, um, I, I like your, your point about being very discerning. I think, you know, uh, in questioning the world that we live in and, and certainly the promotion of the values and principles that we believe in and, and support and want to defend, uh, you know, I think it's important that we that we consider that at least a little bit, we're not being as successful as we uh, previously thought we were. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Well, and I appreciate your um, middle of the road, very rational, <laughs> critical approach. Things very refreshing to 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 be able to have a conversation about some of these matters in in a, in a way that um, you know, anyway commendable. Thank you. And thank you for um, putting it out to the world and, and, and inviting us all to take a deeper look. Folks, check it out. You can find him on Twitter, of course, and you can also go to generalspalding.com and we'll have links on the episode page. Again, Robert, thank you so much. Um, to all of you out there, You know, we appreciate your loyalty. We know you're sharing. Um, keep up the good work. And until next time, go out 
uncover your superpowers and change the world. Folks, we love you. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Bye-bye. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.